Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Bernie, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. We got a logo too. We've been working on one for 18 years, and, and we want everybody in the country to know, with all due respect, we got a logo too. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Colby, did you get some sleep after uh, the Ryder Cup has now commenced and uh, USA is licking their wounds? Did you get some sleep finally? I did, finally. My overnights are a thing of the past. I am no longer a walking zombie slash vampire slash... uh, Whatever else is uh, awake and alive during the middle of the night. So very happy to be back on a normal sleep schedule. Um, And just as I talk about normal, Carson, there is no normal Friday night in Stillwater. You pumped for a blackout, a little Friday night home game action. I like it a heck of a lot better than Thursday night. I'll say that because we all have to go to work on Friday. So at least with Friday, you get you get Saturday the day after. So I'm I don't hate it. I think OSU it benefits from playing on the weeknights. I know that's a controversial topic. I know when you're a school like Oklahoma state, you're not an OU in a Texas. I certainly get it. And I think that certainly helps people watching you on TV. If you have a good football team, I don't know if I want a lot of people watching on Friday night, but I think it's going to make for a, you know, unique atmosphere sold out blackout. So yeah, I'm, I am more excited about this game than I was on last weekend or you know sunday monday so yeah i'm I'm getting fired up for it and then when the game starts i'm gonna be firing off tweets about how they're running the same five plays probably i think uh i think i'm more excited about it being on a friday than i would be for this same game if it was saturday at 2 30 because I, I don't know oklahoma state has just been in this rut where if it was just another normal saturday 2 30 get up drive to stillwater it's your whole saturday you don't get to watch any other games um that to me would be a little bit tougher of a sell than Friday night. Go to Boone Pickens Stadium, blackout, weather's supposed to be perfect. Um, and I was listening to the coaches show earlier this week. Uh, they put it out in podcast form now. And, and Coach Gundy and, and Dave Hunziker were talking about there have been some road Friday games over the years. Troy and Iowa State were the two that they listed. Those are the two that come oh, to Oh, Iowa but State too soon. I, I don't I don't know that there have been any home Friday games. A lot of home Thursday games but they couldn't think of a home Friday game and I can't think of one either. No, I, I can't recall when I did remember the Iowa state game, the infamous one in 2011 being a Friday. That was, that was not great for OSU just in terms of uh, beyond all the extracurriculars and all the, the, the tragedy that happened, just getting aims on a Friday night <laughs> under the lights. That was, I think that just makes that game instantly tougher than it would have been at a 2.30 game Saturday or 11 a.m. Saturday, just for whatever the reason. I think maybe that plays into OSU's hands this week, Colby. Do you, do you buy into that? Because I certainly do. Uh, I buy into it a little bit, yeah. That that trip to Ames in 2011, um, that was just a really bad day. It was a bad day on campus. Then we got together that, that night. Um, I absolutely raged at the end of that game because I don't get totally angry about sports if, like, um, like this Oklahoma State team, for example, there, there aren't expectations. Like this isn't a team that could win a title. When I get really invested in one of my teams, and I think that they can win a championship, especially when I was younger. Uh, I don't really have issues with anger anymore, but when I was younger, I definitely did. Uh, I made a complete ass out of myself in front of my girlfriend, now wife, uh, and all my friends. I, I 
pretty sure I threw my phone up against a fridge. One of the old Motorola razors, the back popped off, the battery popped out. It worked fine. Thing was a tank. Um, that was, that was just a, a bad day all around. Uh, and hopefully, you know, hopefully Friday night in Stillwater, a little bit of that Friday home cooking. You never know. We, weeknight home games feel a little bit different. They certainly do. I'm I'm looking forward to it. Obviously, Kansas State, they did lose to Missouri, but still one of the better teams in the Big 12, and we'll dive into the, the opponent shortly. But, you know, Mike Gundy was doing Mike Gundy things this week, Colby, at his press conference, his weekly press conference. He was coy on the quarterback position, wouldn't really name a starter. And then on his radio show, he just go, goes ahead and announces that Alan Bowman's going to be the starter, says he's played well enough to earn that job. Uh, I, I don't know if I would argue that. I just, I've said this since seemingly day one. I think he gives them the best chance among the three. I know you've been calling for Garrett Rangel. So what's your, what's your take on, on Alan Bowman being handed another start? Yeah, initially I was team Rangel and I still think he's the one uh, who's gotten the least fair shake out of this whole rotation. But at this point, if you're trying to get to six this year, and I think that that is still the goal for this Oklahoma State team, uh, you know, you you don't have to play Alabama, Georgia, Oregon, whoever else you want to name, uh, those top teams in the country. There are a lot of middling teams in the Big 12. Oklahoma State's at the bottom of the Big 12 right now uh, as we head into October. But there are winnable games still on the schedule for Oklahoma State. I pointed out four last week and said I think Oklahoma State probably gets two and ends the season four and eight. But you never know. You, you could get to six if everything breaks right, and you just have to get some chemistry. You, you, you need to have a cohesive unit on offense. The linemen need to know who they're blocking for and where that guy's going to be. The quarterback has to have timing with the receivers. That was a big problem last week, uh, two weeks ago in Ames. Alan Bowman was overthrowing guys. I mean, you, you've got guys winning on routes on the outside and up the seam, and Bowman's overthrowing them just by one yard, one step. The timing is just a little bit off. So uh, I was Team Rangel initially through the non-con uh, as they were doing the quarterback carousel. But now that they decided on Bowman uh, at Iowa State, I, I just think that you have to roll with it, hope that he can develop some chemistry with these receivers. Um, I'm not worried about the interception he threw on the last drive of the game against Iowa State. The, the first interception that he threw, there were two receivers in the same area, shouldn't have been there. Mike Gundy made a good point on his radio show. He's like, yes, that was a bust. There were two receivers in the same area. As a veteran quarterback there, you just have to not throw it. You just have to eat that one. It wasn't third down. You just have to eat it. But um, not overly concerned with the interceptions. It's more the incompletions and the timing that I think that he needs to get down. So uh, he was a little more mobile than I thought, being able to move the pocket, and then he had the rushing touch down so at this point you, you need some chemistry offensively you've got to go with one guy that guy's clearly Bowman uh and so I'm I'm all in on team Bowman for this point uh with the idea that he's the best chance to get to six well especially considering you played a a good Iowa State defense I know they got shellacked by Oklahoma I think that had more to do with OU than Iowa State but they're a one they're a good defense and have been proven to be over Matt Campbell's tenure with with Heacock as their defensive coordinator but I mean it, it felt like an offensive explosion, Colby, going from 200 total yards the week prior to 400. And I think that's a sign that Bowman can actually move the chains and sustain drives. And you're right. He, he shocked me with his rushing ability on the, they ran like the, the option with Alan Bowman. I did not have that on my, my bingo card, but he needs help. And I think the number one way to get him some help is getting the football to Brennan Presley. You and I have been hammering that point home it's it's inexplicable that he's had so few touches so far in this season just 15 catches through four games uh, Mike Gundy even said quote we need to get him the ball more he needs to be involved more uh, when you play outside of the box it's more difficult to say we're going to get this player so many touches compared to a running back it's a little different 
but I have mentioned to them he needs more touches, but he always has a good attitude. I think if Oklahoma State's going to pull off the upset here, Brennan Presley needs to have a, a monster game. They have to get him the football. And I I, I don't I, I've given up the the idea that Ollie Gordon's going to get the running game established and they're going to have a semblance of a running game. I just I don't think this offensive line's capable of that. But what they can do is what they've done really as long as they've had Brennan Presley is get him the ball in space and and let him make plays because they they really haven't done that at all so far. No, they haven't. He talked about that on the coaches show too that uh you know defenses are doing the best they can to take Brennan Presley away because they know that he's explosive. But I mean, this is where we get critical of the offensive staff and where we've been critical of this offensive staff over their tenure. You have to find ways to be more creative, right? I, I mean, they're taking him out, but you're allowing that by continuing to just be vanilla in the ways that you're using him. Get him moving side to side, get him in motion, just do different things to get the ball in his hands and hope that he can make somebody miss. Uh, you know, the run game has just been boiled down to just the same thing over and over and over again. And then, you know, if if Ollie puts his his the palm of his hand in a guy's helmet and gets to the corner, he can take it 71 yards. I mean, get Presley the ball moving sideways. Maybe he can make somebody miss and get up the field. I, I just think that the idea that defenses are just taking that away, um, when you've got good players, you find ways to be more creative on offense than they're being on defense to take that guy away. There are great players all over the country, college football, NFL, that defenses at the receiver position try to take away every single week, and you can't do it because those guys are too good. And if Brennan Presley is too good, and I don't know. I don't know if he's elite. Um, he, he's probably not, you know, the, the Tylen Wallace, James Washington, Justin Blackman, Des Bryant, Rashawn Woods. I, I don't know that he's that caliber. I don't know that he's um, ever going to achieve that type of, you know, going to the, that pantheon of Oklahoma State receivers. But can he be a really good player who helps propel this offense uh, back to a team who, I mean, my God, Carson, score 30 points. It's we're past the 11 month mark. Now we are uh, T minus 18 days until we hit one calendar year since 30, get the ball in Brennan Presley's hands and see what he can do. I just, um, you know, it is harder to manufacture touches for a receiver than it is for a running back, but it's not impossible. And him getting touches in the natural flow of the offense isn't working. So I think that they do need to come up with some gadget type plays just to get him touches so that hopefully he can do something electric. Yeah. I don't even know if they need, gadget plays as much as they just need you know to target him uh and i think that's on the that's on alan bowman to do so now that he's established as the starter i i agree with you i think this three quarterback rotation has really hindered the the communication and the you know the how in sync the quarterback and receivers have been so i just throw him the football and he'll he usually does the rest so that, that's i think that's first and foremost for oklahoma state to get a win now it does help colby that Kansas State doesn't have a very good pass defense. They're near the bottom of the Power 5 schools in pass defense, but they're excellent against the run. So, as you can imagine, uh, they're only average, only giving up about two and a half yards per carry. So, I think I'm curious to see how long OSU tries to stick with the running game, uh, as long as they're not behind, because you know they, they've abandoned it at portions of this season when they did get behind. But the fact that they're now playing Ollie Gordon as RB1, I think, goes hand-in-hand hand with Alan Bowman. I think that's why you saw success. Now, you rightfully pointed out the yards per play beyond the big, long running play from from Ollie Gordon was below three yards per play. So we'll see. But it, it appears to me, Colby, that they're going to have to beat the Kansas State through the air because we all know they, they struggle to run against air. So, uh, so uh, running against Kansas State is not going to be fruitful. Uh, no, I don't think so either. I think that Alan Bowman is going to, 
Um, again, it depends on game flow, positive game script, negative game script, those types of things. But I don't think it's unreasonable to think that he drops back and, and throws more than 40 times Friday night. And that might be what this Oklahoma State offense needs. Because, again, if he can get some timing with the receivers, there were some things last week where I thought Oklahoma State could have had pardon me, could have had more success in the passing game, and and they just missed on a few. So I'm actually more optimistic that the passing game can take a leap than I am that the running game can take a leap. Kansas State has struggled a bit in the secondary uh, this year. So I think that that's where you try to pick on them. And I think 40, 45 pass attempts, I think that's very much uh, within the range of outcomes for Alan Bowman. I I think it might even be the best strategy for Oklahoma State because – uh, again, I, I just don't see the running game taking a big leap. You still have to do it some. You have to keep them honest in the running game, and you have to get Ollie, um, I think, probably around 15 touches, 20 if, if you're playing in a little more positive game script. But um, I think Oklahoma State airing it out and, and hoping that Alan Bowman can throw for 350 yards and three touchdowns. If you're looking for a path to beat Kansas State, which is not going to be easy to do, I think that's probably it. Are you more worried about the offense or the OSU defense? That's a good question. I am probably more worried. Man, I don't even know how to answer that. Um, I'm worried about both. My dad sent me a stat earlier this week. Uh, he saw it on Twitter, and I want to give credit, uh, from Sports Source Analytics. And this was the highest missed tackle rate among Power 5 teams. Okay? And uh, the Big 12, pretty well represent- represented on this list. Highest missed tackle rate, Power 5 teams only. Kansas comes in at number six. They're missing 17% of their tackles. Houston comes in at number five, missing 17.1% of their tackles. Baylor comes in at number two in the country, missing 18.6% of their tackles. And at number one, Carson, a gap of 1.9 percentage points from one to two, which is the same as from two to eight on this list, Oklahoma State missing 20 and a half percent of its tackles as a team. Again, this is according to Sports Source Analytics on Twitter. That is an alarming, jarring stat, Carson, to think that one in five tackles are being missed by the Oklahoma State defense. Um, do I have more concerns about the offense or the defense? Yes, both. I, I, I'm concerned that Oklahoma State won't be able to score enough points to keep up with people. And I'm concerned that the defense won't be able to stop uh, enough opposing offenses that the Oklahoma State offense can have a little bit of margin for error and you can win games with 24, 27 points. Because I think Oklahoma State really needs to win games 27 to 20, 24 to 21, those type of scores. And I just don't know if they're good enough on the defensive side of the ball to do that. Uh, and I, I think they've proven to us for a while that they're they're not good enough on the offensive side to win 41 to 38. So um, I, I know I kind of rode the fence on that question, but I'm I'm concerned about both sides of the football. Well, you should be. I mean, I, I'm shocked to say this, but I think I'm more concerned about the defense. <laughs> For the numbers you listed with the uh, missed tackles at percentage, I'm curious to see this 3-3-5 base defense, how it evolves to stop the run. And that's kind of what I'm most concerned with in this game is, is DJ Giddens, their running back, ran for 207 yards and four touchdowns, uh, nearly seven yards per carry against uh, Central Florida. Uh, last week, reigning Big 12 Offensive Player of the Week. So that's kind of what I'm looking at most in this game. I, I think Alan Bowman and, and Presley and, and Gordon can certainly score some points. I think I think they've shown that against a good Iowa State defense. I am far more concerned about all the busts in the secondary, which I think will be further mitigated the further we get into the season, the more experience these guys get. 
but it's it's more than a trend now. It's it's a it's a happenstance, and I'm very curious to see how they stop the run. That that's something that was a little alarming against some inferior opponents. Well, s- step right into DJ Giddens because that that for me, Colby is is what I'm looking at the most uh, in this game against Kansas State. Because if if they just gash them on the ground, I mean, whew, the book will be out because you can beat them with some busts and coverage, and then they just can't stop. Uh, good rushing attacks, and they've got plenty more coming after after facing uh, Kansas State. Yeah, I do worry. You know, Iowa State last week really struggled to run the football, and there were still breakdowns on the back end for Oklahoma State. So um, if Kansas State is able to run the ball effectively, and, and I don't see why they wouldn't be able to, Kansas State can always run the ball effectively. Will Howard can run the football a little bit. I understand they lost Deuce Vaughn. The running game isn't what it was a year ago, but I still expect them to have quite a bit more success on the ground than Iowa State did. So now you have to respect that Kansas state, man, they are the Kings of just getting somebody open, a tight end open streaking down the middle of the field, stuff like that. Um, yeah, I, I have big concerns with that. And, and the tackling's a big problem, Carson and Mike Gundy. Look, he said on the show that they tackled in practice last week. Uh, they're working on it. They understand that it's a problem. And whenever you're not, Deep, we, we've had this conversation in fall camp. Oklahoma State did not do a ton of tackling. They prioritized health. And you come out in the first month of the season, and you're the worst tackling team in the country. That's a big, big problem. And it's it's hard to stomach for Oklahoma State fans because we got pretty used to watching uh, Malcolm Rodriguez and Devin Harper and Trey Sterling and, you know, Colby Harvell Peel, all those guys. We, we just got used to watching guys who did not miss tackles. Yards after contact, zero against that 2021 Oklahoma State defense. Last year, the defense was still solid, respectable. This year, the defense has really been a struggle, um, and and you played two really bad offenses in weeks one and two, and you kind of got away from it, uh, got away with it. We were even impressed after the Arizona State game, and that kind of benefit of the doubt is going out the door pretty quickly for Brian Nardo. Uh, Again, there were a bunch of busts in Jim Knowles' first year. I get that. Jim Knowles also had the luxury of having some older guys who were around and who stuck around uh, and they were able to build something together. That's a little bit different in modern college football with the transfer portal NIL guys, uh, you know, coming and going with saw Mason Cobb, Jabbar Muhammad, those guys uh, leave out after last year. So I'm very concerned about the defense um, and, and Brian Nardo. Again, you come up from a lower level. Uh, you're the worst tackling team in the country after a month. There's a whole lot of prove it right now for the Oklahoma State defense, and it's not going to get easier. You're, you're not going to play offenses worse than the one that you saw a couple of weeks ago in Ames. So you're going to have to be significantly better on that side of the ball, both with the discipline on the back end, not having any breakdowns, uh, and just with the tackling. That, that sounds overly simple, but it is overly simple. The tackling just has to be much, much better. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Will Howard, a quarterback for Kansas State, you know, I had to look up his numbers against OSU because it feels like they've played against Will Howard six times, seven times. And uh, I know I'm probably leaning on recency bias where he lit him up last year. But before I looked it up, I was like, man, he's, I was going to ask you, is he one of the all time kind of guys that seemingly play over their head when they face Oklahoma state? And he has played them three times, but his numbers aren't spectacular. And some of those were in a loss, but uh, what do you make of Will Howard? Is he going to be another cowboy killer like he was last year? Cause he, he flat out lit them up last year. Yeah, I don't know that it's going to be as bad as last year just because I, I it can't be as bad as last year. Uh, but he has had success against Oklahoma State, and I don't totally hate what Will Howard is. 
as a quarterback, even when Skylar Thompson was there and he would get hurt, they would bring in Will Howard, and there would be very little drop-off on this offense. He's just solid. He's been around for a long time in the same system. I mean, we talk about uh, the Oklahoma State quarterbacks. You've got the carousel, and there's no consistency, and, you know, the offense shifting up the run game over the summer, all these different things that are being put on the quarterbacks from Oklahoma State who haven't been in this system, who don't have the chemistry, who don't have that just kind of second-handed slang, just that language with the coaching staff. And Will Howard, he's been around, what is this, his fifth year in Manhattan, I think? It's at least year four. Um, he, he's solid, man. I'm, I I want to be optimistic about this game. I, I want the Friday night blackout to matter, uh, and I hope the crowd is rocking because college football atmospheres, I, I do think that that matters, and I do think that um, playing at home is good for Oklahoma State. But as we talk about the two teams, I mean, I think, I think Kansas State has a pretty significant advantage uh, at most spots, Carson, and quarterback's definitely one of them. Yeah, I agree. Now, you and I are not in favor of bye weeks early in the season. I'm sure the coaches aren't either. By November, they'll probably be beat up. But I got to say, Colby, with the way the season has began and the way they, I believe, mismanaged the roster with the three quarterbacks, and it's so no one really getting enough reps to be on, on the same page as the receivers, not playing Ollie Gordon, I kind of think the bye week came at a perfect time for this year because they can reset. I think they've done a lot more hitting and, and tackling in practice since they got the week off. So you can kind of correct some of those tackling issues and you get full reps for Alan Bowman and Ollie Gordon at the one position. So I, I don't like it still just because I think again, by November they're going to have guys just, you know, littered throughout the injury report. But I kind of think that this is a total reset moment going into your second Big 12 game. And I think that's the one the one caveat to this game is it's it's kind of shaping up like a kitchen sink game for Oklahoma State. It's Friday night, like you mentioned, blackout, all those things. But more than anything, it's we have to win this game. We have lost two games already. We've had a whole week to prepare for Kansas State. Let's throw everything we've we've got at them. So that's – you were wanting to talk optimistic, Colby. That That's where I am. I've – I've kind of swayed back to uh, I kind of like where the ball the bye week fell, knowing just how mismanaged the first portion of the season was. Yeah, you asked me in August. I hate the week five bye. I hate having an off Saturday in September. I like about a third week of October bye. Uh, maybe like seven games in, you you kind of you're going to be a little more banged up at that time. You get everybody a week. Uh, you kind of get to reset for that final stretch. But this season in particular, just this one year. Oklahoma State needed this early bye because this team is trying to find itself. Carson and this team needed a couple of weeks, I think, and a couple of weeks worth of practices and tackling um, and just Alan Bowman and the receivers getting together. They needed that at this point in time. Now, I really wish that, that you were playing against a, a Jalen Daniels-less uh, Kansas team coming out this weekend, Houston, Cincinnati, BYU. Really wish you were playing against one of those teams coming out of your bye week because that just – it gives you a better chance to go out and beat an opponent that's more kind of on your level from what we've seen in the first month of the season and build some momentum to, to move throughout the rest of the year. Um, Kansas State's a, a, a tough matchup, the reigning conference champions, uh, to, to get coming out of the bye week. So I, I don't blame any Oklahoma State fans for being optimistic going into this game. Look, it, it's not a 24-point spread. Oklahoma State's 11.5-point dogs at home on a Friday night. We see that stuff all the time in college football, right? And what do I say all the time? 19, 20, and 21-year-olds, you can't exactly predict what they're going to do from week to week. I, I just, Carson, we, we've talked a lot about this matchup. 
Um, I, I think we have to mention the coaching a little bit. You, you said it's a kitchen sink game. I don't know that at this point I can fully put my confidence in Oklahoma State's offensive staff to throw the kitchen sink at Kansas State. I, I worry that it's going to be, this is our system. This is what we run. We just have to execute better. And I personally don't think that's the fix. I, I think getting much more creative offensively is a better fix. I think if they continue to just try to run the same stuff with the idea of we just have to execute better, I think we're going to see a lot more of the same offensively. So I understand the reason for optimism, uh, and I also worry that maybe Oklahoma State's coaches won't put uh, the team offensively in a position to score enough points to catch Kansas State off guard uh, to be able to win the game. And they they might not just be talented enough. So, yep. I mean, th- that's kind of a delicate balance there. I. I think most people watching Oklahoma State football can see that they've been extremely vanilla throughout the year. And if that's what we see against Kansas State, well, then just burn it all down. Uh, I, I think fans should have every right to be completely disgusted with with the way that the football program has been handled by the coaching staff, if that's the case. So what would the analogy be? Uh, does, does OSU have a sink to throw at Kansas State? Do they have, like, just the faucet, like the soap dispenser to the left of it? The uh the pipe underneath, what what is Casey Dunn working with? Throw a, a bar of soap, the toothpaste tube maybe. <laughs> I was thinking kitchen sink. You're going with bathroom, okay? That, that oh, you were thinking too. kitchen sink, okay? Um, one of the pods that you throw in the dishwasher. Oh man, I don't that's know. A, I mean, that's I'm what central just, that's what central Arkansas point, but... is throwing at people is a is a pod. Do what? That's what Central Arkansas is throwing at people is just a, a Tide pod or whatever, dishwasher yeah, pod. Yeah, fair enough. I, I don't know. Again, um, I hope to be surprised on Friday night. We're going to be in the stadium. Uh, we're loading the little one up. We're going to oh, go up man. there. Hopefully, fingers crossed, we have enough time to stop at Chris's and get her some new Oklahoma State clothes because she outgrew all of her Oklahoma State clothes. Um, so if not, then we'll just take her in something black and she'll be a part of the blackout. But uh, it'll be my first time this season in Boone Pickens Stadium. I had to work for both of the home games in September. Uh, I should be at, I think, four of the remaining home games. I think I'm going to be able to do Kansas State, uh, Cincinnati, Oklahoma, and BYU. I should be at all those. Um, so I'm very much looking forward to the Friday night atmosphere. I will say, Carson, um, and, and I'm turning it, personal now um i'm very curious to see last year we took my daughter to the games she was six months old she's a baby she's sleeping through most of it not really a a conscious person at this point right now she is as of yesterday a year and a half old i am very curious to see how what is a very sensitive little girl handles the noise the pistols firing all the people the chaos um i think she's either going to have a great time or she's going to completely melt down as soon as all that noise hits uh and the randomness of it is is kind of fun we're just going to we're going to all find out together yeah that'll be fascinating um it's a shame she wasn't born in like 2011 be a lot more <laughs> good football to watch but um but no, that's great. I'm, I'm excited for you guys. You guys are loyal and true, just like your your parents are. I uh, I will be watching from the comfort of my home. Uh, so let's get to uh, Chris's University Spirit uniform preview, brought to you by Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com for all your latest and greatest OSU needs. Be sure to stop by Chris's with your Friday night. Swing by early on your way to Joe's before the game. That's a great stop. That's a great stretch there in Stillwater. I haven't been up there in a long time, Colby, so I need to – at some point, I need to go to a game, but we we appreciate Chris's sponsoring the podcast as always. All right, uniform picks, and then we'll go to our game picks, Colby. What are you going with? Call me crazy here. 
I think they're going to wear black, Carson. Uh, I think it's going to be black on black on black, and then Kansas State will wear their white and purple. Um, I'm going to go cursive Cowboys on the helmet, and I'm going to go give me white lettering on the jerseys. White cursive Cowboys on the helmets, white lettering on the jerseys, black on black on black. I like it. Um, I I like how they have certain weird, funky traditions when it comes to combinations. And I'm I'm led to believe, you know, all those weeknight games, those Thursday night games, they would wear the white helmet with the black jersey and the black pants. That was before they obviously got the new, you know, all the combinations they have now. I kind of think they might do a throwback, you know, Whedon, Whedon to Blackman first edition against Colorado. I'm going to go white helmet, cursive Cowboys, black jersey, black pants. I think the black jersey only has white numerals, so that, that takes care of itself. So I think the white helmet will pair nicely with that. I, I think you kind of need to save all black for somebody else, but who knows? I think OU, they'll probably wear black, orange, black, or some some black and orange combo. So that's what I'm going with. Yeah, that's good. And you're right. It's the uh, It's the – Orange jerseys, which which color jerseys have the two different color lettering? The white. The white. Okay. Yeah. You got the black lettering and the orange lettering. Okay. Yep. I get them mixed up in my head. But uh, yeah, black on black on black. It's it's going to be fun. Yeah. It's a great look. I'll never forget standing on the field at the Fiesta Bowl the first time they were all black. And I was just like, this is everything I've ever wanted from an Oklahoma State uniform. <laughs> and to have those guys be the first ones to wear it? Yes, yeah. Sir. Yeah, yes, it looked sir. looked a little different back in 2011 than it does now. They, those guys were freaks. Yeah, is it just uh, me, or were the uh, all black uniforms stronger and faster in 2011? They sure looked like that. Um, Justin Blackman looked like an alien out there, just like different different species altogether than everyone he's playing against. Uh, game picks, Colby. What's your score, and and how do you see this playing out? Uh, I have I've debated this throughout the week. I've, I've gotten optimistic. I've gotten pessimistic. Um, and I think I've landed on you're playing a good team coming out of the bye. If they were playing an inferior opponent, a, a, a team, I think, closer to their level in the Big 12, bottom half, bottom third of the conference, I think maybe I, I would buy into the bye week, the Friday night, the momentum, and you can go out and win this game. I think Kansas State's a pretty good football team. I think Kleiman's a good coach. I think they've got a veteran quarterback who knows the system, who's been around for a long time. And I just think Kansas State – uh, is a good bit better than Oklahoma State right now. So um, I know it's Friday night. I know it's at home. I know Kleiman's never won in Stillwater, but I just have real concerns about this Oklahoma State team. Uh, what we saw in, in Ames did not dispel any of those concerns. It was a little bit better offensively, but a little bit better. Still had you trailing by two touchdowns late and trying to come back. Um, and that's against a really bad Iowa State team. So I'm going to go 40 to 20 in favor of Kansas State and cross my fingers and hope I'm wrong. What was your score? 40 to 20. Okay. I was, I was leaning towards something similar and I, I agree with most of your points. I think they, the better head coach, uh, and, and OSU, I think we're, we're learning each and every week. They're just outclassed when it comes to a, a Kansas state, South Alabama, the, the juggernaut that came to Stillwater and just waylaid them has lost back-to-back weeks. First to central Michigan, 34 to 30, then to James Madison, Tough road game at James Madison. They lose 31 to 23. Uh, Arizona State is in complete disarray, total shambles, one of the worst power five teams in the country. And so I don't mean to do simple math here comparing scores. That that usually gets you into trouble, but I think it does illustrate, Colby, that OSU is probably worse than we than we thought. 
Uh, now they did, they were competitive against Iowa state. I will give them credit for that. They, I think they're finally playing the right quarterback. Uh, I, I wish someone would have had a camera on my face this year when they put in Gunnar Gundy with the game on the line. Like that would be for the record books. That would be an all time meme. Uh, I think they're finally playing the right quarterback now, but they're just outmatched, especially on the sidelines. I think Chris Kleiman's proven to be one of the better head coaches, not only in the Big 12, but in the country. I mean, he's won everywhere he's been. And he just um he seemingly has Oklahoma State's number on, on top of on top of the talent disparity. I don't have any confidence in this defense stopping the run. That's the number one reason I'm picking Kansas State. And I'm gonna go 41 to 24. So we were pretty similar. I was leaning 41-21, but I'll I'll give Oklahoma State an extra three points. But more of the same. And, and again, this is a kitchen sink game. If, if Oklahoma State comes out, runs the offense they should be running, Casey Dunn figures out what offense he wants to run, and their defense makes some plays, then I'll, I'll, be, I'll be happy. I, I, take no, I take no joy in this. This podcast would be better if they were winning each week. When you and I were having playoff debates back in 2021, that was a heck of a lot more fun than this has been. But I just – there's too much evidence now with their, their like opponents – uh, I don't think Kansas State's what near what they've been, but uh, they're still very much better than Oklahoma State. Yeah, and Kleiman has never won in Stillwater. So Oklahoma State's been good against Kansas State. A lot of these games in this series have been close over the years. Um, last year, this this is the game that, that sent it all spiraling downward, right? I mean, this is the game where, um, you know, there were rumors that that things were a little, a little tight on the Oklahoma State side. Um, and this is where it all started going wrong a year ago. Maybe this is where it all starts going right this year. Um, I sure hope so. This is, let me pull it up. I've got the line right here. It's 11 and a half Kansas state's favored over under a 54. So that's a 33 to 21 ish win, uh, for Kansas state is what Vegas thinks. So, um, you just never know. You never know. That's, that's not the biggest line I've ever seen. When is the last time Oklahoma state was a double digit home dog? I wonder. Ooh, good question. I don't even know how we would look that up, but that's a, that's a good question. Well, I think. You know, Bedlam comes OU, to right? mind, but the 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 massive Bedlam spreads were usually games played in Norman. Uh, 2015, when they got just run off the field, uh, there might not have been a line on that game because Mason Rudolph was hurt. Remember that game? J.W. Walsh played a majority. They put in Rudolph for one play. He threw a pick six. Just a total disaster of a night. That I can't remember the line on that game, but I don't think it might have been double digits. But I I would think double digits has been a long time. And and this is double digits, not to a top five Texas team, not to a top 10 Oklahoma team. This is double digits to a Kansas State team that lost quite a bit uh, from last season. So that just uh, that gives me maybe even a little bit more concern. But I'm my head tells me Oklahoma State's going to get beat by three touchdowns. But my heart tells me, I don't know, maybe they've got one in them on a Friday night. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, you sent me an interesting tweet from um, from Philip, uh, OK Tex R Poke, about Mike Gundy's salary. You know, Colby, there's a lot of discussion about Mike Gundy's contract, the rollover stipulation in it, the buyout number. This was an interesting take. He tweeted, he's been thinking about this for a while. Now I proved it using, using USA Today's numbers. Mike Gundy takes up a larger percentage of Oklahoma State's athletic department budget than any Power 5 coach at any school. For reference, he's paid in the top 15 in the country. I believe he's tied for 13th. He gets paid more than Brent Venables and Steve Sarkeesian. You think about that, Oklahoma and Texas, the budgets they have are paying their head coach less than Mike Gundy gets at Oklahoma State. Some of that I understand. He's a very much longer tenured at OSU than those other two coaches. But still, Colby, 
This is why Mike Gundy takes the, the level of criticism he does. When you're paid a 13th best in salary in the country at $7.5 million, and then you put that on top of it, the fact that he takes up 7.3% of the athletic department budget, that's ahead of Dabo Swinney at 6.88, Lane Kiffin 6.74, Josh Heupel at 5.82, and Jonathan Smith at Oregon State at 5.81. So those are the numbers, Colby. I, I found that fascinating. I'm glad you passed that on to me. Yeah, and the replies are, are fascinating, too. Some people are saying uh, money well spent. Look where Mike Gundy ranks historically throughout the school. Some people are saying, well, um, that could also, you know, talk to a, a larger point about the overall athletic budget. But Oklahoma State is not Texas A&M, Texas, some of these schools that have these massive budgets. And when you don't have as big of a budget, what do you have to do? You have to spend your money wisely. The money that Oklahoma State has spent on Mike Gundy has been money well spent for a long time. We're entering a different era of college football now, and I think some fans are going to have to accept that that is a really high salary if you're not getting the results on the back end. So um, I think that that will will play itself out some more over the rest of this season um, next year as we see what Mike Gundy uh, does to evolve with modern college football. But I just I thought it was interesting to get a look at that um, and, and see that that yes, he does take up the largest percentage of Oklahoma State's athletic budget, um, and that speaks to I think. Uh, Mike Gundy not producing enough results over the last half decade. You, you've got kind of the one season to hang your hat on. Um, and, and then the overall athletic budget is not what it is at other places. So, um, yeah, just kind of an, an, interesting, an interesting number that you can kind of contextualize however you want. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I did find it interesting uh, that – do you remember – the quote after South Alabama about, you know, they those kids, they don't care about NIL. They just go out there and play. And Mike Gundy said that on the radio. It, it got a lot of traction amongst OSU's fan base. Well, he was singing a very much different tune this week, Colby. He was asked about Pokes with a Purpose, the NIL program, that all the players after those comments came out from Mike were tweeting, like, please help us. Pokes with a Purpose is a great deal. It helps student athletes. They were really, really doing a great job promoting it and proving why or proving how OSU fans can actually help the product on the field. Well, Mike Gundy's singing a much different tune about NIL. He called it very, very important when asked about it, kind of went on about it. And uh, that's a very different tune than he's been talking about NIL really since it became a thing. And I don't think that's any coincidence, Colby. I think those comments got back to Dr. Shrum, Chad Weiberg, and I think they sat down, and this is just me speculating. I haven't heard this from anyone, but I, I got to think, Colby, they sat down and said, Mike, you either get on board with this NIL program, Pokes with a Purpose, or you get the hell out. Because this is where college football is. It's not where it's going. It's where it is right now. So we're not going to listen to this NILs for snowflakes, NILs a joke. These guys don't care about it. That's why they play good on Saturday. No, 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 no. If you want to be the head coach at Oklahoma State, you're on board with this. And, I, and, and to Mike's credit, he is. Uh, yeah, I, I think – I don't know that I would say necessarily or speculate whatever that, that he was sat down. I think that Mike Gundy um, – I think sometimes, and we've seen this with these big changes in college football, I think sometimes Mike Gundy is a little behind – but then he realizes it and he catches up. And I hope that that is what happens here. Um, and if he starts to embrace NIL and the portal and, and things turn around. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You, you think one. he had an epiphany all of a sudden about NIL? You really believe that? Uh, as much as Mike Gundy, you know, talks about he doesn't listen to, to the idiots on the radio and stuff. I think Mike Gundy knows in general what the criticism is. 
And I think that he's heard the criticism about him being unable to evolve with college football. Yeah, I do. I, you know, he, he said initially with the transfer portal, portal right in year one, this thing's going to slow down. And then it didn't. And then in year two, he goes, well, I was dead wrong about that. So I don't think it's, I don't think it's unreasonable to think that, you know, he has kind of pushed NIL off to the side and then now things are just falling off a cliff and he has the epiphany. Oh, um, we might actually need this and we're going to compete going forward. I, I think that that's, a, a reasonable benefit of the doubt that I may be willing to give to Mike Gundy. Well, I hope so. Because again, like if you want next year to be better, you're going to have to get kids through the transfer portal. And that's, what's interesting too. Oh, she's been really good before NIL and before the, even the term transfer portal. You think about guys like Tyler Patman, obviously what Jalen Warren was able to do. Tay Martin, uh, guys throughout the years, they've, they've gotten Josh transfers. Sills. Who's that? Josh Sills, let's get some more guys on the O-line. Yeah, exactly. They, they they really were a little bit ahead of the curve when it comes to transfer players making an impact before the portal became a thing. So I, I do think that's ingrained in Mike in terms of adding talent to the roster, but NIL is certainly going to come with that now. So you're, you're probably right. I mean, I'm, I hope so. Uh, I just don't know if that was more PR than you know true belief and principles he's going to instill in the program, but he better because – it's not going anywhere. So yeah. And the schools that they're competing against um, Utah's crimson collective is leads is leasing each scholarship football player, a new brand new uh, looks like 2024 Dodge Ram truck leases are six months and voided. If player transfers or el- eligibility <laughs> expires, that is 85 uh, brand new. I mean, I what's a brand new Dodge Ram go for? I mean, four door, I, 70 grand. I don't know. 70 would be uh, my guess. Something yeah. Like that. Top of my head. So, uh, and again, they're not giving them to him leases for six months, but that's a, that's a selling point, right? That's a chip that you can play. Um, there are schools all around the country getting creative with NIL. And, and I hope to see a lot of those things in the near future from Oklahoma state. You ready for toast of the week brought to you by Yingling. Absolutely. Mine is non Oklahoma state, but I am absolutely ready. Yep, this Toast of the Week is brought to you by Yingling. Be sure to check them out. I I just got a bunch of Yingling for my house. I will have the traditional lager on hand. Nice uh, frosty cold one waiting for me on Friday night uh, as I watch Oklahoma State host Kansas State. So we appreciate Yingling sponsoring the Toast of the Week. Uh, You can visit their website, find the the local spot for you to pick up the newest and greatest Yingling beer products. And again, Drink responsibly, always designate a driver. We appreciate Yingling being along with us. And uh, man, they got some good beers, Colby. Have you have you perused their wide selection? They've got a they've got a lot of uh got a lot of flavors to working with. The mango. You recommended the mango. So I went the mango route. Uh and it did not disappoint. Highly recommend. Nice. I'm not a I've never been a dark beer person. They've they've got some porters. They have a Hershey's chocolate porter. That that sounds like dessert to me. That sounds pretty good. I, I've never been a dark beer person. Uh, they got the dark brewed porter, but I, I typically go with the the pills or the traditional lagers. But uh, they got a, a wide selection for everybody. And then Oktoberfest, I'm, I'm gonna have to get some of that too, as we are in October. So Colby, who's your toast of the week for? Speaking of October, Carson, it has been a long, hard road. It has been twelve long years of mediocrity and beyond tanking just unwatchable and now after 12 years with back-to-back routes 
of the Tampa Bay Rays. My Texas Rangers have won their first playoff series since 2011. They're going to face the one-seed Baltimore Orioles on Saturday in the ALDS. Carson, it's been a long time since I've been able to care about baseball because, look, there's 162 games. I've got things going on. I'm not going to watch a tanking baseball team. But a team that's putting it all together and is finally coming out on the other side, one of the best offensive teams in the league, man, I am fired up. You said Oktoberfest. It is Oktoberfest in the MLB, and the Rangers are a part of it for the first time in a long time. I watched the game today, 7-1. to They beat the Rays. Could have been worse. Uh, Texas was hitting the ball all over the park. Carson, I I know it's – it's weird. It's it's a it's a weird take these days to be really excited about baseball. Maybe it's just because it's been so long, but I am really excited about baseball and just the the chance that my Texas Rangers have uh, to do something special. They're still playing baseball right now. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. I knew you were going to say that. Uh, yes, they are, Carson, because they just won their first playoff series in 12 years. Well, my dad is a lifelong St. Louis Cardinals fan. So he he would probably tell you that he's very sorry that you were one strike away from a World Series. What was that like 10 years ago? Something uh, that like that. was 12 years ago. Yeah. 12 years the, ago. Uh, yeah, you said the, it. Yeah. The last the last playoff series that Texas won was the one right before that. It was the ALCS right before David Freeze uh and Nelson Cruz broke our hearts. Yeah, that's a good one. Well, congratulations Rangers fans are there's a lot of them here in Oklahoma and man, they've <laughs> that was about as close as you can possibly come to winning a world series without doing it so that that's a true heartbreaker to be an osu fan and a rangers fan that's that's a tough combo colby yeah no for the record by the way that was the same year that was that had to have been two weeks before the iowa state game oh no i mean that had to have been a a week maybe a week or two before the iowa state game carson it was heartbreak city and um yeah, I was watching the David Freeze game whenever he hit the home run. I'm still not over it, by the way. I don't know if you can hear it in my voice. Uh, we were watching it in somebody's dorm room at Bennett Hall, and there were like 12 of us in there. And the ball came off the bat, and I stood up, and I turned around, and I walked to the door, and I looked back at the TV, and it landed, and I walked right out the door. I was gone, didn't say a word to anybody. <laughs> Nobody texted me. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I was out. Oh, man, that's brutal. That is absolutely brutal. Uh, good stuff. Uh, my toast of the week is going to go to Victor Hovland. You know, there was so much talk about him coming to the Ryder Cup as playing, you know, top three player in the world. Uh, I think he now has a legitimate claim as the best golfer in the world. Look, I know Rory McIlroy won more points. He wasn't as good as Victor. I know John Rahm won some points. He was chipping in from everywhere to win. Victor Hovland is steady, consistent, and, man, he looks poised to win a major. He was... Colin Morikawa had nothing for him in Sunday singles. It was man amongst boys. You know, Colin got his his major. What does he won two majors? Yeah, he won two majors, which is just yep. crazy to think about. I know he has his two majors. He wouldn't trade his career for Victor's at this point. But Victor's a far superior golfer now. Just it just speaks to the improvement he's made, his dedication. Uh, he lives here in Oklahoma. As much as I hated seeing the Americans go down, like in just total shambles like they usually do in Europe watching Victor kind of continue his ascent to maybe the best player in the world was it was a joy to watch yeah no Victor is unbelievable and he's just a great guy to have associated with your school right I think you me and um, some other people who care about the Oklahoma State golf program are, are ready for it to get back into the conversation with the best schools in the country and 
Victor Hovland, he's a recruiting tool, man. I mean, he still lives in Stillwater. Uh, he, he rents out a house to one of the guys. He's not able to be there very often, obviously. Travels the world playing golf and then goes back home uh, to Norway from time to time. And then as they're redoing Carson, he's playing a lot at National. Um, but, yeah, Victor Hovland is just a great guy to have associated with the program. It, it's un, unquestioned that over the last probably three to four months, he has been the best player in the world, probably from when he won the Memorial through the Ryder Cup. He has been the best player in the world. Um, now, does he need to get it done at a major? Yes. But we've talked about this before, Carson. There's four of those. So many things have to go right to win them. I, I mean, Ricky Fowler just basically outplayed everybody in, I think it was 2018 at the Masters, and then Patrick Reed clips him by a shot. It's just so many things have to go right over 72 holes to win a major. Uh, Victor Hovland is still young. I don't think it's even close to time to start holding it against him that he hasn't won one. He is on the tier, I think, with what he's done over the past three, four months with Scheffler, McElroy, Rom. He's just missing the major championship, so hopefully he gets that sooner rather than later. But regardless, he is undoubtedly in the top tier of players in the world. Those are your top four, by the way, Scheffler, McElroy, Rom, Hovland. After that, you talk about a drop-off. You go to Cantlay, Shoffley, Homa, Fitzpatrick, Harmon, and Wyndham Clark. Victor Hovland's a better player than all those guys, and it's not even particularly close at this point. Yeah, and man, I'm going to pour a yingling out on the ground for Ricky Fowler. My my dad texted me. He he did, he took a major issue with one of my tweets I sent out. I called – so for people who don't know, Ricky Fowler, it's coming down to his match, him and – him and Tommy Fleetwood on 16, the drivable par four over the water. My worst fear was he's going to hit it in the water. He does. He makes a great approach to, to make a, to have a makeable putt. Tommy Fleetwood has a two foot, eight inch putt to win the Ryder cup to win it. And Ricky concedes the putt. He doesn't even make him putt it. Now, I'm not here to listen to, well, it didn't really matter. This match was behind them. And it, it absolutely, you you owe it to your team to make them earn it. And I'm sorry, that was a cowardly decision. That's what I tweeted. My dad took issue with that. It's almost as if he was afraid Tommy would make it and then he would miss his putt and get the blame. Because I can't find any other explanation, Colby, to concede and not 15, 20 minutes earlier, Wyndham Clark makes uh, Bobby McIntyre put a two-foot putt, not two-foot, eight-inch putt. It might have been less than two feet, and he missed it. This is, And this is Tommy Fleetwood, who is the British version of Ricky in terms of not getting it done in majors, has never come close to winning a major. And he has real struggles on Sunday when the pressure's at its highest, putting. And Ricky didn't make him putt it. I. That made losing his match because and Ricky played great. Like Tommy Fleetwood was speaking of kitchen sinks, he threw the kitchen sink at Ricky. He made a ton of birdies, and Ricky was right there on 16. And he throws it all like not only do you lose the match, do you hit it in the water? You make that decision. I, I can't believe he didn't get more heat for it, Colby. I still can't. Yeah, I, I think had I think had there been any real chance the Americans were gonna win the Ryder Cup, he would have. But I totally agree with you. You've got to make him putt it, right? It's two feet, eight inches. This is not well, a, a team. Yeah, no, no. This is not a, a tap in by any means. Anybody who's played golf knows two feet, eight inches. Yeah, you got to step up and make that. I mean, if if I've got a big uh, at the greens, we do a whole season long deal. And then at the end of the season, we play a cup. It's Ryder Cup, 12 teams, 36 holes Saturday, singles matches on Sunday. I promise I'm not giving anybody anything outside of 
I don't know, 15, 18 inches maybe because guys miss those putts. It just happens. And I understand that these are the best players in the world. Um, Ricky would have had to hit his seven-footer for par before Fleetwood hit his two-foot, eight-inch putt for birdie. So um, I, I don't know. Maybe again, I just—I was gonna say maybe he's over it. I don't. It's the Ryder Cup. I, I mean, he was sick. He played really bad on Friday, but he played well on on Sunday in the singles matches, and then he concedes it. So also, not only does he rob his side of the chance that Fleetwood misses it, uh, sneaky hot take here. He robbed Fleetwood of the moment of a lifetime, stepping up and knocking in a three-footer to, to clinch the Ryder Cup uh, all around. I thought it just it totally took the drama out of the moment, uh, and it was just not nearly close enough to the hole to be given. So, yes, so, so much love for Ricky Fowler, uh, but so much disagreement in him giving that putt. Yeah, like he – I agree. He took the moment from Tommy Fleetwood. Like it's all, it was almost kind of like a, oh, I guess we won. You're not going to make me putt that? Okay. You know, I just, you know, cause I got OU friends that give me so much grief over Ricky. And that was like the worst case scenario. Not only is he hit in the water when pressure's at its highest, he does that. Oh, Ricky, that was, that was terrible. So, yeah, well, at least Ricky didn't sprain his wrist one time and then quit forever. Who would that be? Uh, one, Mr. Anthony Kim. It was not oh, a wrist sprain, by the way. It was had- a very serious injury, but he did, he did quit the game. And he's he's a lot he's interested in a lot more things besides golf, if if um if you know what I mean. So he's got he's got way bigger issues than his wrist. But I actually he's spotted from time to time down at Jimmy Austin. I have a friend that's a member there and says he sees him all the time down there. Just the mythical figure that is Anthony Kim. Last I heard about Anthony Kim uh was recently. I heard somebody talking about him earlier this week said that he is mostly in Dallas playing poker all the time. So I would assume that that means Windstar, living in Dallas, driving up to Windstar. I don't know. But, yeah, that's the last I've heard on Anthony Kim. Yeah, I did not think this podcast would end with Anthony Kim, but uh, Colby, enjoy the game on Friday. I'll be watching, and we'll get back with you uh, for some post-game thoughts. This should be interesting. Yes, sir. Cowboys we'll are never boring. Weekend. Yeah, no doubt. Hey, uh, OU Texas, who wins? Boy. I think Texas, just because I think they're better up front on the offensive and defensive lines. I think it's going to be close, though. I think OU is improved. I don't think it's the mirage we saw last year when they beat Nebraska. Uh, I've been very impressed with Dylan Gabriel, and I think people just throw out the Texas score from versus OU last year when they won 49 to nothing or whatever. They didn't have Dylan Gabriel. He had a concussion the week before. Like Imagine Texas playing their backup quarterback in that environment. It, it probably goes similarly. So I... I think it's close, but I, I've been really impressed with Steve Sarkeesian's offense. You Just watch OU Texas. Watch Texas when they're on offense and the schemes they're running and just juxtapose it to what Oklahoma State's doing. It's like quantum physics with third-grade addition. That's the difference in, in skill level amongst the coordinators. Uh, I'll, I'll go with Texas. See, I would actually recommend to all of our listeners that they don't do that because it will drive you crazy because that's what I do when I watch other teams play. I'm sitting at my parents this last week and watching an NFL game, and there was a brilliant play, brought a guy in motion, linebacker got confused, guy got out in space, scored a touchdown, and I started yelling at the TV about Oklahoma State football. So that's it's not a healthy way to watch games. I don't recommend it. Um, I think Texas is better and should win, but I think Oklahoma will win because – I, I mean, we've seen it for 15 years. The football gods just seem to like OU, and they seem to hate Texas. Uh, and I, I don't know how you get past that. So um, I think it'll probably be a close one, and, and hopefully it's a good one. Carson, great stuff. As always, we'll talk to everyone this weekend. Thanks for listening. Go Pokes.